Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Shani, we met a lot of Investing Compass listeners this week. We are fresh off the plane from Melbourne, from the ASA conference, the Australian Shareholders Association conference. And we met quite a lot of you, which is great. Yeah, no, it was. Lots of people came up to our booth. We sponsored it. Mm -hmm. And so, Shani, I just sat in this booth for two days and people came up and talked to us, which yeah. was great. So what, what was your highlight? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it was all pretty good. You did a really, really good presentation. Um, we had a lot of people come and say it was the best one of the conference. So thought that was pretty good. Well, thank you. Thank you. What was your highlight? Uh, when that guy came over, this guy came over and he asked if he could take a picture of me. <laughs> Like, not with me. Yeah, just of you. also would be strange, but just (laughs) of me. And then he had me stand in front of our booth, and he took a bunch of pictures. Yeah, I mean, So it's strange. Yeah. (laughs) It's strange. I would would assume that people would want to come take pictures of you and not me, but... I don't know why you'd assume that, mate, but... (laughs) Okay, well, I won't go into that. But we should start the episode. So, Shani, I read two articles, and... Both of them got me thinking, and that's what we're going to discuss today. All right, so let's hear it. Okay, well, first off, I read this article on crypto that we published on First Links. Yeah, because you apparently edit that now. Yeah, no, that is a long story, but you know, let's just hope this hiring process moves quickly. <laughs> so if anyone's out there that wants to uh, be the editor of First Links, let me just know. Just let us know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We are, we are desperate. But anyway- <laughs> I read this article, and it was about what happened to the stable coin Terra. And I want to spend a bit talking about it. Now, I'll freely admit, and Will's probably sitting here rolling his eyes right now, that I'm nowhere close to an expert on crypto. But I think maybe not being an expert on crypto is actually helpful in this case. Yeah. I mean, before we started, Will just threatened to just turn off our mics and not record. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And he hasn't even heard what we have to say yet. Yeah. So this should be good. Can uh, all the crypto bros that we have please just direct their hate mail to Mark, so not me. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, it's my email address in the show notes, so they'll have to do it. But anyway, Terra is a stable coin. And I, I had heard of stable coins before, but I never really thought much about why there were stable coins. I will say I didn't really understand. And you know, my intellectual curiosity just sort of stops at crypto. And so I never bothered to even figure this out. So if there was a crypto coin that was pegged to the US dollar or any other currency, why wouldn't I just hold the currency? That's what I thought. Yeah, well, that seems like a good point. So I'm guessing you looked at the purpose of a stable coin, or this would be a very, very short discussion, Mark. Yeah, no, exactly. So it turns out this stable coin is used because if you are in a non-stable coin, like Bitcoin, and I'm sure that's not a technical term, non-stable coin, (laughs) and you want to buy something with your crypto, you're worried about large fluctuations in the in Bitcoin's price, for example. And that, of course, means that you might not be able to buy what you want if there's those huge changes in price. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense. You would do the same thing with shares and converting them to cash if you're going to buy something in the short term to manage volatility risk inherent in shares. And crypto is way more volatile than shares. But why wouldn't you just convert your crypto to dollars and then spend that? That's a really good question, Shani. So I thought about that too. So it turns out you wouldn't want to do that because if you keep your crypto on an exchange or a digital wallet, taking it out of that exchange 
means you have to pay a fee. And I didn't do this full analysis, but I spent some time looking at Coinbase and the fees seem to be pretty high. So in other words, what you're saying is that Bitcoin is too volatile to use to transact and the fee levels to move crypto into non-cryptocurrencies is too high. Yes. So I, I found that a little strange because I thought Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are designed so that people can send money directly to one another without a bank or a third party as an intermediary. And the power of that is that banks and third parties, of course, charge fees and they put up other barriers to transact, like they check to see if you're a terrorist or a drug dealer. And Bitcoin, of course, was also created during the GFC, partially because of the mistrust that came out of bailing out all the banks and the expansion of the money supply, which was supposed to make fiat currencies unstable. So I think I see where you're going here, Mark. We now have cryptocurrencies that were designed to avoid the devaluation of a fiat currency and ease the friction of transacting, but are now too unstable to use to transact because their value swings wildly. Exactly. And you can't convert this cryptocurrency back into a fiat currency because there are significant fees associated with it, because the Bitcoin is held in a in digital wallets on exchanges, which are run by third-party intermediaries. Yeah, still still what I was thinking. Yeah. And the reason that we have exchanges and digital wallets for Bitcoin is because people keep losing it if they don't use an exchange with a digital wallet. And these exchanges are simply third-party intermediaries who impose fees to keep your currency safe, which is why we had banks in the first place and didn't keep our money laying around in our house. Yep, I think you're almost there. Okay. So since the value of a cryptocurrency is too volatile to use for transactions and the fees are too high to remove it from an exchange, we need a stable coin. Yeah, no, that seems to be the case. And the funny thing about a stable coin is in the case of Terra, it obviously wasn't too stable because it went from a total value of $18.7 billion to practically nothing. And I'm not going to get into the details here, but the holders of Terra were not attracted because it had a value. After all, it was pegged to the US dollar because they could just hold that. They were attracted because they were promised a 19.5% interest rate to own Terra and deposit it in a bank-like entity called the Anchor Protocol that loaned it out to other people. So, Shawnee, you have a bank account. I do have a bank account, Mark. Are you getting 19.5% on your account? Yeah, I'll uh, have to double check that, but that does sound a little bit high. Well, as this Terra started falling and people started pulling money out of this Anchor Protocol... They, of course, realized this 19.5% was a little too generous. So they actually went out and proposed to lower it to a variable rate of 4% just to try to stop the bleeding. But of course, at that point, it was too late. But the problem is that with everybody pulling Terra from this anchor protocol, we ran into a problem because the anchor protocol was needed because that was the key part of the algorithm that kept Terra pegged to the US dollar. This is like a roller coaster, Mark. I'm on the edge of my seat. Yeah, she's on the edge of her seat because she wants to get out of here and stop <laughs> talking to this. But the backstop for this whole ecosystem was something called the Luna Foundation Guard, which was invested in Bitcoin and is the second largest known holder of Bitcoin. So the foundation started selling Bitcoin to support the price of Terra. But Bitcoin, of course, had already gone down 62% off its peak. And when people saw them selling it, it, of course, made it go down more. So the backstop for a stablecoin, which only existed because Bitcoin was too volatile to transact with, was Bitcoin, the very asset that was too volatile in the first place. Yeah. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And you throw in the fact that the founder of this whole debacle is this shadowy South Korean guy named Do Kwon, who previously set up another stablecoin, which also failed. And you've got a real soap opera here, Shani. 
And one of the best parts is that in response to this, many people in the crypto community are calling for regulation. But it was set up to avoid regulation because the regulators were destroying the monetary system and couldn't be trusted. Exactly. So the question, of course, is does crypto have a purpose other than for speculation? Is there a real use for it? And is there a real value? And maybe. I'm just not the one to answer that. But it seems a lot more people are questioning it. But of course, they're only questioning it because it has fallen so much. So it seems like the lesson of this whole story is that nobody questions anything when it's going up, because the answer to those questions is to point out how well it's done. And the rebuttal is often delivered aggressively, which is why the Bernie brothers have been replaced by the crypto bros. Yeah, that's Bernie bros. I have no idea what that is. Those were, so Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Who ran for president. Yeah. He had all these like aggressive 20-year-old like white male <laughs> supporters that would like go after people that didn't like Bernie. Were you a victim of this? I, I was not a victim okay. of this. I tried to <laughs> I tried to avoid all of this. But anyway, one good sign of trouble, I think, and same thing with Bernie Sanders' campaign, is how angry people get when they're defending something. So somebody wants to attack the stock market, that's fine. Not too concerned about the whole thing. I've made my decision and I'm going to invest by owning companies that we all interact with every day and that drive our economy. Other people won't. Not something I'm that concerned with. Well, this, of course, brings us back to the share market. And the question we got over and over again at the ASA conference was, how low will it go? And the answer we gave them and the answer we'll give now is that we, of course, have no idea. But that doesn't stop people from speculating. And recently, we've seen a bunch of old quotes surface. We are supposed to buy when blood runs in the street, Shani. And Baron Rothschild said that, but we do want to warn our listeners that are outside looking for blood that he meant it figuratively. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, he made his fortune by buying during a panic after Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo. So in that case, maybe there was blood in the streets. <laughs> so quotes are unhelpful and, of course, only really work once the market has bottomed. Exactly. So this second article was a bit of an interesting take on the stock market. Wall Street Journal took a look at how far the market could fall. And the first thing they looked at, and of course, it could fall to zero, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, they're speculating on how far it would fall. And the first thing they looked at were expectations and how high they were. And we talk about expectations all the time. The expectations for the future are reflected in share prices. High valuations mean high expectations, which are hard to meet. Low valuations mean low expectations, which are easier to meet and exceed. Yeah. Well, Natixis, which is a global asset manager, did a survey in 2021 and found that U.S. investors expected 17.5% annual returns going forward. And in a word, that is just crazy. It, it is crazy. And the article went on to talk about why this is crazy. In the decade that finished in December 2021, the S&P 500 earnings grew by 7.7% a year. And that is really good. And earnings growth, along with valuation changes and dividends, are the three sources of returns. And we also had huge increases in valuation changes. Now, the article pointed out that more than half of that earnings growth came from expanding profit margins. So profit margins refer to how much a company keeps in earnings from revenue that they make. So expanding profit margins means that your earnings go up without needing to sell more. And the reason for this varies, but a couple of things happened during that decade. The first thing is that Trump cut corporate taxes significantly, which it is safe to say is just not happening again. But companies did get more efficient without lowering prices. The problem is, where do we go from here? There seems to be no appetite for cutting corporate taxes further from governments that are laboring under huge debt levels after COVID spending. And perhaps companies can get more efficient 
But right now, the big risk to corporate profits is rising input prices such as commodities and wages. The other thing, of course, is valuation levels, which we've covered multiple times on here. And the article looked at both normalizing and projected what would happen if profit margins and valuation levels dropped to their historic average. And that would be around a 40% fall from where we are right now. So that's pretty extreme. That is a pretty extreme scenario. So what do you think? Well, I think that both the upside and the downside, the market goes further than anyone suspects and goes much further than where it rationally should. That is why estimating what will happen is a bit of a fool's errand. And remember, this isn't about calling the actual bottom. It's about getting to a point where the risk and return trade-off, as represented by valuation levels, is aligned with what your goals are. And for me, we are still not there because the margin of safety is inadequate to reflect the risks on the horizon. I will say that I would be putting a lot of cash into the market long before it falls another 40% from where it is now. Doesn't mean I'll catch the bottom because that's, of course, impossible to do other than by dumb luck will mean that each further leg down the market takes, the better that risk and reward relationship starts to look. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas, Explore our ETF model portfolios, plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks, and stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager, integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSite. Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. So what's the common theme here? The common theme between both stories is that we need to challenge these implicit assumptions. And the assumptions with crypto and with market returns have largely changed with the steep falls we've seen. But just remember that while we think the markets have room to continue to fall, we will get to the point where all the expectations will be so negative that we can't help but surprise on the upside. And that, of course, is when the figurative blood is running on the streets. The other lesson is to take the time to think and fundamentally understand what you were buying into. Does this crypto ecosystem make sense? It doesn't to me, and that's easy to say now, but it never made sense. And honestly, I never spent a lot of time trying to figure it out. I just couldn't see the practical use of it, and I couldn't see where the value was derived. Not as it's currently constituted as purely a means for speculation and not a means to transact. The premise was they are building a better currency. Better currencies don't go down 62% in a matter of months. A good currency is a stable currency. Of course, stability isn't something that people want to speculate in. I just think there is a huge mismatch here between intent and reality. The hedge fund manager, Bill Ackman, said you get the shareholders you deserve. Well, I look around at who holds Bitcoin, and no offense, Will, and why they hold Bitcoin, and I get worried it isn't about the vision of crypto at all. And crypto is hard because with Mark, it's easy to say he's an old man who's out of touch, but it's my generation that has jumped so heavily into it. But I will say, I just don't see it. I couldn't see it when Bitcoin was at its peak, and I can't see it now. That doesn't make me right, but it does mean that Bitcoin isn't right for me. How can I invest in something if I don't know when to buy it? How do I measure its value? Is it worth 61K or is it worth 20K or is it worth 10K? I just couldn't tell you. 
And conversely, on the share market, if you think the market's going to go up 17.5% a year, then explain why. Where does that return come from? Dividends, earnings growth, increasing valuations? Those are the only places it can come from. People investing and expecting that return are not thinking about something tangible, the company they're buying, and the slow growth of earnings over time. They're thinking about speculation and just selling shares to some sucker down the line. This is a bit of a strange episode, uh, but the whole reason we named this podcast Investing Compass is because we want to help you navigate the complexities and absurdities of the investing world. So these are two articles that we read recently and the responses they elicited. Maybe you had very different reactions, but those are ours, and we hope that made you think a little bit. Yeah. No, thank you very much for joining. We talked about that first link's position that was open. open. Um, now Will is packing up his stuff. So if there's anyone out there <laughs> that can produce podcasts, that would be uh, that would be great as well. But anyway, thank you for listening. Once again, we'd love any comments or feedback you leave on your podcast app. We still have that book competition open. Mm-hmm. The books are actually sitting right in front of me. So it's One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. And if you do leave us a comment or leave us a rating, just send an email to my email address, which is in the show notes. And we'll enter you in that competition to win the books. Shawnee's excited to autograph them. And finally, I look forward to hearing from the various angry crypto bros. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.